When something bad happens in a game, walk away. When something's wrong in the community, you're out on a night and all of a sudden bad situations are around you, walk away. Got an old friend of mine with us today, uh, Rob Miller with Proactive Coaching and just done a done a heck of a lot throughout his career. So I'm um, excited to talk to him and hear about it. Rob, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's always good to be on talking with you and talk about things we have passions about. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll give everybody a rundown of, gosh, you've done so many different things. But when we're talking about um, transformational coaching, impacting the student athlete, building teams, kind of give us your pertinent experience of why people should listen to you. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> so kind of started for me, to be honest, back in about 2000. And and I'd come through, I was a coach, you know, I coached small college athletics and played small college athletics. And and at that time is when the NAI started the, the NAI Champions of Character program. And I, I was targeted by the CEO at the time to run this program. And I knew this, I didn't want it to be philosophical. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because we need philosophy behind it. I get that. But coaches live in an application world. And so... It was, okay, philosophy's there, but application-based, what can we put into place that can help our teams get better, okay? Can help our student-athletes get better as people, as athletes, and our team get better, which means we produce at a higher level as well. So that's what kind of started it for me and did that for eight years. And then for the last 16 years, I've been with Bruce Brown and Proactive Coaching. Two of us are partners along with his wife, Dana. And I speak uh, about 130 days a year at high schools, colleges, and and uh, other things, businesses, professional teams, not as much, but with them across the country on, on building the right kind of culture, I guess, to be would be the right word, to allow for leadership and ownership and the right choices to take over. Cool. Well, forgive me. That triggered a question that I didn't send you beforehand, so I'm going to challenge you right away. Talk to me about the difference of doing it on the micro level when you're face-to-face with the group and then on the macro level where you're developing programming like for the NAI. Those are two very different challenges. Talk about talk about those experiences. Those are very different challenges. And, and I think we see that all the time. Uh, the micro, let's go to the macro level first, developing the programming. When you're developing the programming, the buy-in is, is more broad-based. And I think it's kind of why you're doing what you're doing here with your podcast, Rob. It's we got to all buy in. So how do I buy in? Yes, the coach, but how do I buy in the athletic administration and the senior administration, whether that be at a high school, superintendent, principals, or whether that be at a college where you're talking about vice presidents, provosts, and presidents to buy into that big picture of why we're doing this. Um, you know, and we were just talking about this offline. We're caught up in a world of, you know, how we are we surviving just based on enrollment figures at college level? How are we doing this? Well, we've got to get in the bigger picture of how can we survive? Yeah, but how can we do it in a way that allows for this unbelievable educational athletic model? And I think we would all agree in the last six months, the educational athletic model has taken a huge hit. And so whether we're part of it or not, at the big level, when you're watching what's happening at D1 Power 5, that trickles down. When you're watching what's happening in on the AAU programs and the travel programs, that trickles up, and it really impacts educational athletics. 
So the first thing at the at that big level, that macro level, is we have to get the buy-in to why we're doing this, and it's under the educational athletic model. When you're working with a team, the buy-in for me is just two simple things. One, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and two, we're doing it because it allows our team to perform at a higher level. And when we get young people, students, athletes understand that, coaches understand that. If it's helping us be better as people and it's helping us produce at a higher level, why wouldn't we be doing it? That's well said. That's where at Friends University, we're all in on all our coaches using the 3D curriculum and training on that. And myself, it's kind of a risk just to say we're all in because coaches don't like any of us. They don't like being told what to do. But whether you agree with it or not, it's going to help you win games. <laughs> so you can not care about holistic development, not care about kids, quite frankly. But if you do it well, you're going to get more performance out of people. So even from a selfish perspective, people should buy into this stuff. It's interesting you said that because last year I was um, sitting down the follow line. I was working with a D1 softball program, top 20 in the country, very good program. And I was just sitting down the follow line watching the game. And the AD comes up and he kind of looks at me and he goes, our culture coach. And I thought about that for a minute. I goes, I look at that. And not because I don't, that's what I talk about. But if you're all about culture without performance, you're in trouble. And if you're all about performance without culture, you're in trouble, which kind of comes back to the 3D method, kind of comes back to holistic coaching. We got to do it all. We got to bring it under that umbrella so that we're doing everything we should be under educational athletics. And it's so hard. So I've been in it, gosh since 2007, first as a coach, now an administrator. And the expectations of coaches have evolved so much from being a coach, care about your kids, to at the college level, recruit kids, retain them, and by the way, make them great people. And by and large, we do. I mean, you guys are proactive coaching 3D. There's a few organizations out there, but very few people train coaches on these things. And um yeah, how do we develop that infrastructure towards not, hey, you like sports, you want to coach, here's your whistle and go. Um, and that's that's incredibly difficult. And I think it goes down to something, I mean, you helped me do at our last school of developing purpose as an athletic department. Um, talk about that a little bit. How can coaches or if you're talking to athletic directors, how, how can you develop purpose both individually and collectively as a group? Well, I think that that comes down to, uh, you know, both intentionality is the number one word I use in this. As a coach, we need to be intentional with our team. As an athletic director, you have to be intentional with your team. And your team's the coaching staff and the athletic staff. And so we got to make sure we're building those programs. Uh, And, you know, we talk about the things that, that build programs. How do you build purpose? Well, one, ownership. This isn't what I want you to be. This is who we want to be so we can make an impact. And it goes that great Pat Summit quote, right? Uh, the greatest weapon we have on any team is ownership. And so we get that. Yeah, we're leading it as an AD or as a coach, but we're also making sure it's not just a compliance issue. You got to comply to what I'm telling you to be, but it's an ownership of who do we want to become. And we start getting that input. Then it allows us to develop leadership, to develop accountability, okay, and to develop our athletes the way we want them to be or our staff the way we want them to be. But I also think it comes back to something prior to that. And and this is what we know we did at your place and and you're so intentional about everything you do, which makes it, that's why you're succeeding. But it's this, in in athletics, but certainly also in education, 
what we've done over the last number of years has got, in my opinion, has gotten caught up with catchphrases, banner words, and t-shirt slogans. And we got to get off the 30,000 and get down to three feet. So what's our purpose look like on a team? What's it look like in practice? What's it look like in the classroom? What's it look like in the games? As an athletic staff, what's it look like when we're working with athletes? What's it look like when we're working with the rest of the campus? What's it look like when we're working in the community? And start, we don't have very, we don't need very many because I'd rather be great at a few things than mediocre at a hundred. But what is it that our purpose is going to be and what's it look like? Because that takes away from the generalities and gets it down to specific action statements. To me, that allows us to be intentional and go forward with what we're trying to develop. That's good. Can you give any examples you've, people you've worked with of specific actions that they use to develop standards, culture, impact their yeah. campuses? You know, you know, in, in one, I try to tell people, don't get caught up in the word that you're using. But let's just say some team says, we're going to stand for respect, we're going to stand for um, uh, competitiveness, and we're going to stand for intensity or something like that. Okay, so now I'll break it down. What's that look like in those situations I talked about? What's it look like in a game? And maybe respect is this, you know, an action statement that says this, walk away from a bad issue. So take an example. So walk away. So now I get cheap shot in, in a game. My, my, we call them covenants, purpose, whatever you do. You, when you get a bad call against you or you get somebody taking a cheap shot on you, instead of reacting, you walk away from that. Okay. And it's already been predetermined for your, your process, your purpose. When something bad happens, we're not going to respond and escalate the situation. We're going to walk away from that situation. I've seen that with a lot of teams. And by the way, think about the crossover with that. When something bad happens in a game, walk away. When something's wrong in the community, you're out on a night and all of a sudden bad situations are around you, walk away. Walk away. So there's something as simple as that. To I, I work with an institution down in Florida that their whole goal is this. This is how they started. We want to win the conference championship and we want to win the sportsmanship award every year. That's their goal. Okay, now goals are different than, than purposes, but then they get into it. How are we going to do this? We're going to be fundamental coaches. We're going to teach the fundamentals. We're going, and they got about six things outlined under that. And then how do we win the sportsmanship award? We're going to make sure we greet the opposing teams when they get to our campus. We're going to, you know, not cuss at the officials. We're going, and they have about six things under that. Well, three out of the last four years, they've walked away in an NCAA Division II conference with both of those, the All-Sports Trophy and the, the All-Conference Championship Sportsmanship Award. That's the intentionality that goes behind it. it. Yeah, as you talk about it, it's it can be so complex, but yet it's so simple when it comes down to it. Like I was thinking about, we, have, we had a new football coach last year. He's in year two. And the team kind of transformed our campus last spring. And in his first meeting, what he did is he told them, hey, when you walk by anybody, look them in the eye, say hello. And if you're standing near a door, hold it open for them. And something simple like that. I mean, for us, one of every nine kids is a football player on campus. And that just transformed how everybody felt on our campus. And it was so simple, but it was intentional. And, and it's a, at three feet instead of 30 feet, you know, because think about this. 
show respect. If you take those hundred football players and you tell them all to define respect, how many different definitions of the word respect would you have? Quite a few. If you tell them, look somebody in the eye, say hello and open the door for them. Uh, we're all on the same page now. Let's do it. And it's the same thing, but it brings it down. I love how you said that. It's complex, but it's simple. So do you think, I already stated my opinion earlier, but how much does this kind of thing, this conversation, it's certainly an educational athletic model, which we're in higher education or high school coaches are in secondary education. That matters. But how much does it impact winning? Well, I think it impacts greatly. Um, I, I like to start a lot of coaching clinics that I do with this thought. Write down your three best athletes just based on God-given ability. Write down your three best athletes. They all write down. They say, write down your three best athletes based on this. Who makes the best decisions on effort and behavior? And then you write them down. I say, how many have those same? Very few. Okay, very few. The thought process is you'll never have a team reach potential until your most talented players are your hardest workers and the best representatives of what your program wants to stand for. So now that gives us the format to say, let's hop into this because if we can get more athletes making great decisions on what we want them to be, our program is going to produce at a higher level. You produce at a higher level, you have a better chance to reach potential. You got a better chance to reach potential. You know, got a better chance to do win. <laughs> that's our philosophy at proactive. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. We need to be doing this and we do it because it makes our teams more competitive. Yeah. And it's, I'm not sure if 20 years ago it overlapped as much as it does now, but um, I was probably too young to really look at it. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think the overlap is just significant now. Well, and let me also say this, Rob, on that, because I think you're right, but I think why? And, it, that, and this isn't in a bad way. It's just where we are right now in athletics. 20, 30 years ago, where did most of your coach, coaches come out of? An educational background. Okay. So some of this stuff was natural to what they were already teaching. Today, especially at the high school level, how many do not have an educational background? And it's over 50%, 60%. So um, they're walking in just based on the technical part of it, which I get, I understand that, but now how can we get her? So they're not as, as apt to put in the culture unless they're learning how to do it. That's mm -hmm. mine. And it's interesting because at our small college level, I feel like we're seeing more and more coaches succeed that were teachers at one point at the high school level Yep, where they learn to communicate, learn to teach and just didn't jump into the recruiting game quite frankly, like I did, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't learn pedagogy and how to, how to, how to teach subjects and topics. And that's an advantage for coaches these days. I agree. I agree. So I want to shift a little bit to talking about generation Z where roughly defined that as people born around 2000 or later. Um, I feel like we've heard a lot of talk about those generations changed. Now, I'll preface that of um, my parents said that about my generation. My grandparents said about theirs. It's an age-old conversation. But between technology and COVID, I do think that uh, that how we work with student-athletes, how we work with kids, and how we coach them has changed. Tell me what you're seeing in your line of work of working with this generation of kid, kind of the post-COVID athlete. Yeah, let me start with the, the first one. And, and this is probably the thing I've heard the most even pre-COVID was we don't have any leaders anymore. 
And, and I, I, I do necessarily agree with that, but my comment back to a coach that says that is, what are you doing to train them? And I, and I say that to say, when we're working with people in that category, we have to make sure we're providing some of those resources and tools to make let them grow into being a leader and or a better athlete as they come through. And so it's falling back on us to find those right techniques to move forward. And I'll give you an example. I think some of those things, yes, technology's had a big part of it, no doubt about it. Um, and I'll give you an example. I think the two biggest hurdles to leadership that we're finding uh, is social media is number one, okay? Um, but the second is our culture, which had developed long before COVID, was we're starting our kids in organized athletics at three, four, and five, and they're all adult control. And so when you and I were growing up, we were playing at three, four, and five with no adults around us, and we were on the playground just playing, which meant we were organizing ourselves, managing ourselves, leading ourselves. We got great at conflict resolution because if we didn't, somebody got beat up or the ball went home. Okay, all those kind of things that we now have to implement inside of it if we're going to work with this you know, Generation Z athlete. We want to build their leadership. We have to bring some of those things into reality because they've never experienced them. And so we got to be, again, coming back to word I've used 10 times already, intentional about developing the leadership. I think the other part I would say to that is, I think we have to do a really good job right now as coaches under... Under And I'm trying to find the right words to say, but I guess I'm just going to use this. We have to determine pressure and stress. I think we have to do a great job of discussing pressure and stress with our team. We have to show them the difference between pressure and stress. And we as coaches are not mental health experts. I should say very few coaches are mental health experts. Some are. But we have to be at least aware enough to identify when there's an issue and have people of resources around us that can help in programs when we have that issue come to the forefront. I think a lot of us would agree things that were pressure for us have turned to stress for this generation. And we have to walk, we have to walk them through that process and let them see the difference. It doesn't mean it's going to impact them. Then we have to be careful when they get to it. And then we have to find them help if we think they're there, if we can't help them. Well, you threw out a lot of gold there. I've been sitting here taking notes. Let me, I'm going to back up. I got about three follow-up questions. Um, so, the, I mean, I heard you on the first part saying the, talking about the concept of just play. And I see two solutions. I'm speaking off the cuff a little bit here when you're saying from three years old on, um, kids are in organized sports, which I agree. My five-year-old's playing organized basketball and soccer. Um, so either we change that system and have them not do it in some backyard, or we got to adjust on some level the coaching to let them have that play and get some expensive experience, for lack of a better term. What do you, what's your suggestion? I, I hear the problem and I, I have no idea what to even experiment on a solution. I think my answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it works out, but yes, the answer is yes. Um, you know, I think there's a couple different ways. And, and, and part of the, because let me talk about, because I think we can develop both the play part. I, you know, we got to have more opportunities to play. And, I, you know, we talked about baseball before you and I got on the actual podcast here. Um, we're pricing kids out of baseball and softball. And that hurts me. Yes, I mean, That just hurts me to the core because though I played college basketball because I couldn't hit a curveball, my favorite sport is baseball. And when I go to a store and I look in these things and I see what a baseball bat costs, I'm thinking, how many kids are just 
are out because of what that bat costs. And so what can we do to develop more play situations? But I also think we're not going to change the whole market as a whole, okay, and get away from it. So then that comes the second part of what you said. And I think all the way through college, I don't think it's bad to say, hey, guys, today we're going to, you're, it's a it's a student led it's an athlete led practice i'll oversee it you know for, for all those reasons we need to oversee it but you guys are going to do the practice today so they can kind of learn from it and i'll give you another one rob i'm going down a rabbit hole here but okay i'm 60 years old when i went through high school our quarterback i mean our our football coach called maybe half more plays and their quarterback called the rest i caught in baseball we called the play, picturing me pretty much called the game. How many of our kids today, not just in youth, in high school, college, and pro are calling the games? It's all coming from the bench. So how much are they learning about the game versus how much are they reacting? We got to free that up a little bit. So I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, that's good. I um, just lost my train of thought. I was that I was that baseball coach that did call every pitch because by the time they got to me, they didn't know what to do, and <laughs> I wanted well, on me if, if it came that's to part it. of the problem, right? By the time, and I think you would probably agree with this statement. There's no doubt our athletes today at the college level are bigger, stronger, and faster than they no are doubt. in their entire life. No, I doubt. could not have been a college athlete in today's day and age. I don't think I could either. I agree yeah. with you, but they're less fundamentally sound and know less about the game than ever before. Yep. I agree with that. And, and so you're right. When they get to us, we got to call the game because they haven't learned it. They've just reacted to it. Mm -hmm. well, it's interesting. I Last year, I got went down a rabbit trail from a book called Every Moment Matters. Uh, oh, yeah. Right by Sullivan. And I mean, loved it. There was so much good. But he talked about a small resource in there. I actually have it sitting on my desk. I haven't used it yet to help young coaches learn how to teach and coach called Coach Challenge Cards. And I think this gets to the organized play because, I mean, we have we have a 26 and 27-year-old coach. So they grew up, a head coach, they grew up in that environment. But the coach challenge card is there's just a deck of cards and you pull it out and all they can do is the coach gets handed the card and that's how they coach practice for the next X amount of time. So like this one is spend the first nine minutes noticing with no plan in order to inform your decision making for practice in the next 10 minutes. And I think learning as a young coach, silence is golden and you choose your words carefully. Um, I, I think the coach education piece or what we're talking, what you're talking about, a kids don't play and it's structured. I think it even impacts how we train coaches. So would you agree? I'm kind of forming a thought as we're talking, but no, I t totally agree. I think our coaches education has to bring this into it because you're right, because you coach how you were coached for the you either coach the way you were coached, or you coached 180 degrees different because you hated the way you were coached. Okay. And and but if you don't know what you don't know, how are you gonna ever coach that? And so I love that I you know that idea right there. And sorry, and I'll give you an example, Rob. We do this what we call a coaches leaders workshop where every team will come in and bring their their leaders. And I tell the AD at the beginning. The best thing for you to do is when we do the breakout session, sit back and watch. Which of your coaches facilitate with their players? Which coaches dominate their players and don't let them talk? And which coaches ignore their players' comments? Because you learn a lot from that. And part of that is because of who they, they don't know. They haven't been trained. We have to train them. Yep. 
Yep. All right. I want to go. I'd never heard somebody talk about pressure and stress like you did there. And um, so why do you think more so now pressure is seen as stress? I think there's so many reasons. Um, I, I think some of it is um, just where we are as a society. And what I mean by that is everything's a crisis. You just look around and there's so much drama and there's so much, everything becomes a crisis when it doesn't need to be a crisis, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, I, there's I some people that live on, if they don't have a daily crisis, they can't survive. And I think that's part of it. So there's so much drama in our kids' lives today and it's every place. It's in competition. It's, it's um, because of what you said earlier, the strive to win. So you got drama there. You got drama in the hallways. You got drama when they go home. You got drama when they turn on the TV. You got drama when they go on social media. There's all this crisis, division, and drama. And so nothing's, it's all anxiety, you know, stress versus pressure related. I think that's one aspect. Another one is just our different culture. And, and, and I, I have to be careful because I think we get over. We, we talk about this at a level that I'm not sure it's at, one, coming back to our daily crisis, but we have a situation where, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just give you a story of what Bruce said one time, and I laughed because I had the same thing happen to me, Bruce Brown, my partner, and I had the same thing happen to me. I came home one time, Bruce came home one time, and in different ways, but kind of complained about playing time, and both our dads in a very different way looked at us and said, work harder. You know, I mean, that's how kind now watch one of our Facebook posts that goes up and 60 or 70% of the people on there are going to respond. They might differ with the thought, but it's a very good conversation, but there's about 20 or 30%. The moment you put up there and they thought if we're defending a coach, they go all off on coaches. If we're defending a parent, they go all off on parents. And we're trying to create this environment, which our young people are coming up in and they just think everything's on edge. And we got to somehow bring that point down, you know, and as I read one time many years ago and have used, you know, pressure makes diamonds, stress cracks diamonds. Mm -hmm. And our kids are diamonds. That's well said. I, I triggered it when you started talking Facebook. I, I do think there's a piece for our kids of, heck, for me, we, we're so online now that I think people feel like they're always on a stage and every even small failure feels so public. And you feel like all eyes are on you. And I remember I, I had a terrible freshman year as a college baseball player and a lot of different reasons I didn't play my sophomore year and coached. And I coached C-team baseball at Lawrence Free State High School. And it was an aha moment for me when a kid had an awful game. The only people that knew were me, the kid, and his mom and dad. Nobody else cared <laughs> unless they're throwing fits and throwing bats and all that kind of stuff. But when you're that baseball player in the moment, you feel like the eyes of the world are on you and it's not. And I think this is where we go the opposite. You need to get away from the three foot view and try to get to the 30, 30,000 foot view. That's yeah. You're yeah. I mean, the athletics is a game of foot. I don't care what sport you're going to fail at it. Right. And baseball using your example, you fail seven out of 10 times. You're really good. Pretty good. You're good. And in fact, and you, let's say you go over four and you hit four shots and they're all caught, you know, but that other kid gets three for four when they hit through pop-ups and they just fell in the right place. 
And then I think what takes place is this. You, I think you said it being on stage because on stage now comes the comparison. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, they compare said. themselves against each other, but guess who else comes in? The parents are comparing themselves. The, the student body's comparing them. And man, that's tough. That's tough. Talk about, I think, a part of your background I'm intrigued is the conference commissioner piece. Um, what'd you learn looking at athletes from that level? And coaches, you know, I think what I learned, okay, I'm going to start with the coaches. Cause I, I, I just said this yesterday to somebody, I can't even remember who it was. We're having this conversation. What I learned yesterday was this, there's a lot of coaches that can, that complain about their players and they do the exact same thing. <laughs> yes. Words, their actions don't align. You know, they complain that their kids aren't on time for practice and they're late for every meeting. Their kid, they complain about how, you know, their kids are distracted and you're in a meeting and they're on their cell phones, you know? Um, so I think that that's one thing I learned with coaches that they're, they're, they're not all coaches. Again, we don't want to broad breast this, but there's a lot of coaches out there that are looking for an excuse. They never tolerate their athletes to use. Um, so that was kind of disappointing for me coming from, I, I think I was so fortunate, Rob, that I grew up with these, I look back my biggest mentors are all my coaches. I had, mm-hmm. I just, I, everybody talks about their bad coaches and I'm going, why was I so lucky? I had three great coaches in high school. I had a great college basketball coach. I consider Bruce Brown, you know, my partner coach. And those five have just fed me and let me grow. And so, you know, I think some of that comes from that type of background. I was so fortunate to have great coaches that it surprised me to see so many using excuses and holding holding people to a higher standard than they held themselves to. Now, athletes, I'm working with athletes all the time, even in speaking and as a commissioner. I don't see much change. I think, like I said before, there's change from bigger, stronger, faster to less fundamentally sound as far as, as far, I guess what I'm saying is I haven't seen much change in what they want out of the athletic experience. I think what athletes want out of the athletic experience is they want to get better, okay? And they want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they want to develop great relationships from it. Now, all those other things we've talked about have played into that, the the pressure versus stress and all that, but the basics, what they want out of it haven't changed. But things around them have changed. What parent expectations are, what coaches, as we talked about, are, those are the things that have changed and that can impact the athlete. Yeah. One change I've seen, I I think I've seen, I can't prove it, is because I think I agree mostly with what you said. Um, but I feel like the kids now, like we do end of the year evalu- anonymous evaluations with every program about about from their kids that comes directly to me without their name on it. And I just allows us to evaluate, help we get better. And coaches hate it. They don't think it's going to get honest responses because they don't play. 98% of kids are pretty insightful very fair and they can sniff out a fraud pretty easily probably better than i could have i agree with you 100 that's i i that's why i don't think that it, it, and you know what you already knew the two percent who were gonna not answer it true before you even did it i mean you don't you're anonymous but you know who they are mm-hmm. you know that but i'm with you i think our kids today are they see things i doubt the lie they go deeper than i ever went <laughs> yep. in my thought i really now i do think 
what has happened in a cultural base, and I don't always see it on, on athletes directly, individually, but as a culture, our values tied to our playing time versus our role on the team. Mm-hmm. I think that 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 does hinder that. But I love that you do that because I agree with that. They they can they don't get upset about playing time. The one or two may get upset about playing time, but when you get eighty percent of your athletes saying the same thing about a coach, you know it's pretty accurate. Yeah, and last two years our coaches' reviews have been phenomenal. They do a good job, so I'm not, not getting a little well, garbage there. Intentional. That's yeah. you're intentional about it. Yeah, yeah, we got good people. But here's an interesting one to throw at you, and then we'll move to toughness and get done. But this was out of after reading um, reading the O'Sullivan book of Every Moment Matters. We surveyed our athletes on what's most important to them in their athletic experience. So Sullivan had a had a survey and they were used with younger kids. I'm curious if any of these surprise you. So all our student athletes, here's the top five. We gave them a list of like 40 or 50 things. I can send it to you, but of what's most important to your athletic experience. Number one was working hard. Number two, learning from mistakes. Again, this is self, self-reported by kids. So working hard, learning from mistakes. Number three was positive team environment. Four, when coach knows a lot about the sport. And then five was having a coach that's a positive role model. That's what our kids are saying is most important to them at Friends University. And none of that surprises me having yeah. dealt with kids. I I, yeah. I see that. I, and if I have time, I'll share just a story back down with one of these softball teams I work with. Um, I was talking to a young person who wasn't, she came in as a top recruit. She wasn't playing a whole lot. Coach asked me to just talk to her. Okay. So when I talked to her, and I'm pretty blunt, you know that. I just looked at mm-hmm. her and I said, Are you doing not playing as much as you thought you were going to? And she looked at me and says, I love this team. And I kind of caught me by surprise, right? I mean, it did. It caught, I was ready for the floodgates to come open. And she, I love this team. And the coach didn't say she was bad. She just said, See how she's doing. And I said, Why? And she looked at me and said, Because this team, Every other team I've ever played on has been about stats and scholarships. This is about being a team. And that goes back to those five things you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, that's it why does. It, it hit me when you said that. It took me right back to that moment because I'm thinking, she's got the definition of team down. <laughs> that's the type of person I want to hire. That's um, right. That's right. So here's the bottom five. And these, these did surprise me. So I'll start at the last. So lowest score out of like 40 or 50 things, getting awards. Second to last, being known for my sports skills, but getting complimented by my parents, parents coming to games, and then scrimmaging a lot during practice. So those are the five they say matter to them the least in their collegiate athletic experience. I don't think the first three, the first three didn't phase me if I got mm-hmm. them right. Okay. That doesn't phase me at all. Now, I, I asked the parents the same question, and those three might change. Yeah, true. I mean, I just that's part of the culture we're in, right? Mm-hmm. But the the two that got me were uh parents coming to games. Um that one surprises me because we hear a lot they want them there, but it also tells me this that um there there's something that may hinder their performance if the parents there. Mm-hmm. You know, um so that's an that one really catches me. But the what the uh, what was the last one again? Play the last one again. Scrimmaging a lot during practice. I love that because what because I think I, that surprises me a lot. Okay, but I love it because I think we've gotten in this world of youth sport. And coming back to our conversation earlier, 
we're playing five, six, we're, we're playing five, six, seven games for every one practice when we should be practicing five or six times for every one game. And kind of the same thought there. They're saying, I don't want I want to learn the game. And that may or may not come through scrimmaging. But if we could do fundamentals, I want to learn the game. Mm-hmm. I love that. I that 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 was fun. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, that's um you're surprised by I'm surprised by the opposite ones. I was really surprised by getting awards being last and then being known for my sports skills because I think there's so many identity issues that come into play as you go through college, learn you're probably not going to be a pro, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I was surprised those two. They say it didn't matter. But yeah, it's several hundred kids on this survey. So you know, I, I think the one thing and I laugh about this all the time, and I could get myself in trouble for saying this, but um, I don't care. But <laughs> fe- fe- female athletes do a wonderful job of looking to the future, even when they're freshmen in college. Mm-hmm. You know, they're already piecing out. This probably isn't who I am. So who am I going to be three, four, five years from now? Okay. Yep. Male athletes are thinking if I get one at bat my senior year, I could get drafted. and i know that because that was me so i I get it i get it yeah well here's here's a fascinating piece i broke it out of men only and women only and Mm -hmm. the bottom two and both were the same getting awards and being known for my sports skills it's fascinating fascinating yeah it's fascinating fascinating information yeah all right i'm gonna one more topic Uh, we're going a little long but i'm having too much fun so tim elmore um leadership author, generational researcher. I heard him talk at the NEI convention one year. And he said, with Generation Z, we have to get begin with empathy to get to grit. So in order to get to grit, we have to, to start with empathy. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it falls right into a, a statement Bruce Brown said to me probably about 15, 20 years ago. And I buy totally into it. Know your athlete's stories. Mm-hmm. And that's the empathy. We're going to be able to connect with them, build trust with them. And when you get trust is when you can start get, pushing them to a higher level and get that grit with them. And they'll start going, you know, the proverbial quote, go through walls for you. Okay. But it's not going to come until you know their story. And I think that that, that empathy is where are you coming from? doesn't mean I have to agree with you. I'm not going to agree with every one of the athletes I've coached. And they're certainly not going to agree with every one of my coaching decisions. But if I know where we're coming from, we got a better chance to relate. I, I really, I, I hadn't heard, I, I wasn't there that day that Tim spoke. And so I missed it. And I was disappointed. And I haven't heard that direct quote, but I think it falls hand in hand with what Bruce said. And so, yeah, I think it's true. Do you think it's the same? And so I think a lot now, how do we build resilience and toughness with coaches? I think there, there's a lot of the same principles at play. Do you, would you agree? Or what about when we're talking dealing with the 35-year-old first-time head coach in terms of helping them build toughness and resilience? Well, I think so. I think, but knowing their story may be uh, even different. I think when we're knowing our athlete's story, let's know their background and where they come from. With our coaches, it's not only know where they come from a little bit, but, you know, and, and I say that because, you know, I, and I'll put it this way. I went to a two-man clinic one time when I was coaching college basketball. You know, Knight and Shevsky, and and they each did three hours. Well, you know what? They both used the same language. Sorry, I mean, for all, you know, they both. But it was Shevsky. You know, it's like he's so caring and compassionate, using the same amount of cuss words as Knight. You know, I mean, and but he was coming at it from a little different way. From but that's who he was. He grew up in South Chicago. 
You know, if you've ever spent time in South Chicago, that's what you get, okay, as you walk through it. So you got to know that. But I also think is this. I think we have a lot of younger coaches that are insecure because they don't know the game as much. Yep. They, they want, so now we're dealing with the personality, but we're also dealing with the profession. And so we have to make sure we're help building their grit and their resilience. How much, okay, let's walk through the situations with you. Let's find you a coaching mentor because I don't know every sport. You know, if it, was a, if it was my lacrosse coach, I wouldn't know anything about lacrosse. Let's find you a coaching mentor that's been there before. I read a book last summer called Do Hard Things. And yeah, it's, uh, I got it right here. I'm halfway through it. Halfway through it. Right here on my Well, somewhere in there, he, they define toughness. Like, I think it was team toughness, but just two things that you had to have. One was psychological safety. So not safe space, but you follow the rules of the team. You, you get to stay on the team. You're not going to be cut because of a bad day. And then part two, it, number two interests me, but it was an environment where you feel like you can get better. Yeah. And that comes down to the coach knowing their stuff, which that, that surprised me, but it kind of makes sense. You know, it comes back to when we do our trust presentation for coaches, we talk about three things, three things, why athletes trust coaches. And this came off of surveying athletes. Number one, we're professionally prepared. That's number one. They want to know we know what we're talking about. Number two, we personally care. It's more than them being an athlete. We, we, we know who they are as a person. And the third one is we have purposeful, consistent character, which means this, our words and our actions align. That's what athletes told us at Proactive. That's what builds trust. And that falls into tough. everything we just talked about. Yep. <laughs> yep. Everything we just talked about funnels right into that. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Let's, let's finish up. Um, any final thoughts or something you thought I should ask you that I didn't? I, I love the intentionality where you're going with this, Rob. And, I, you know, is there different ways to do it? Yes, there is. I would just say for all coaches out there, teachers out there, I think that the, the line is, and, and I say this because it's a little raw to me right now, okay? Um, be demanding without ever being demeaning. Mm-hmm. Demand excellence and standards. And if you read the definition of the, uh, of the definition of the word demanding in the dictionary, and this is all fresh, so I'll tell you why in a second. It's this, to, to require hard work and hold people to high standards. Who can disagree with that? Okay. But at the same time, last week, for the first time in 15 years, I made a social media post about being demanding, and I had three people say demanding's not good. And when I questioned them on it, you know why it came down to it's not good? Came down not good because they thought demanding meant demeaning. And it doesn't. And so I think what I'm saying is as coaches, we got to be careful too with our terminology and how we go about things, the intentionality. So I've referred to it now as positive demanding. Okay. <laughs> because people will take things as coaches, we have to, and leaders, we have to understand we will say things that doesn't mean that's how the group we're trying to reach hears it. And so mm -hmm. we've got to make sure we're reaching them. Yeah, that, that goes well to an issue we faced in the last couple of years with a coach who heart in the right place. But the environment they came from to hold people accountable, you had to do it with an edge and be a jerk. Yeah. And those aren't the, those aren't the same thing. Those are not the same thing. Yeah. Oh. All right, we'll finish with a rapid fire round. So you, you have no more than 30 seconds to answer these last few questions just to kind of learn more about your thinking and thought process. Okay, here we go. Oh, all right. Um, what is the book, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Um, 
Okay, Toughness by Jay Billis. Why? Because it does a great job of defining toughness in bigger sense than physical toughness. Um, Second one, I love this book, How Lucky to Be Me. And it's the story of Don Meyer. And I think it's just about how to be impactful as a coach as it walks through. Those are probably the two, the most. Uh, the third one is just based on my faith. To, to, it's called The Case for Christ by Les Strobel. And that's just for my faith. I just think it, why? It's it's a book that puts common sense and logic together. Yep, right on. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Oh, I think I'll go to being a parent and failing with my daughter. And I learned that not all people communicate the same way because I am a very verbal person. My daughter is a writer. That's what she does now. She's 28. She's written for five years in her career. And I one day wanted to have an immediate response. And instead, she wrote a response out to me. And I learned more about my daughter in that response, written response, than I did by just waiting around listening for her. Understand communication is a two-way street and we'll, we present it, but sometimes we have to, now in athletics, sometimes we need immediate responses because the urgency of the game. But if there's a place where the communication doesn't need to be urgent, let's find a way that we're learning from each other. Very good. How do you define success in your work with proactive coaching? Uh, when I know that we have made an impact on the team in a leadership way, and in a way that people are making better decisions on effort and behavior. Other than this one, what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> um, that's a good one. I listen to a ton of them anymore. Um, Scott Jarvis, um, Bound for Greatness, does a really good job. Uh, it's, it's directed towards high school primarily. He's from Iowa. I really enjoy his podcast and listen a lot. Um, and then I listen to... Um, um, and I just want to come up with the name, make sure I get the name of it right uh, as, as I walk through. I can't even think of the name of it um, or the people. I just listen to it because it's full of great. It's it's a, it's a like a 30-second podcast every day that just gives you snippets. And I can't even come up with the name of it now. So, yeah. All right, last one. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Hmm. Understanding the need for sleep. Hmm. Rest. Um, I've, I've noticed, and that came off a study through the U.S. Olympic Committee about athletes that the number one concern from high school athletes and college athletes was the lack of sleep. John Underwood, U.S. Olympic uh, Committee uh, or U.S. Olympic training staff, and understanding that we function much better when we have proper rest. And I've now I'm starting to see all these pro teams and. University of Michigan and others hiring sleep consultants that we need to find places to rest our body and mind. Fascinating. Cool. Well, this has been a blast. A lot of, a lot of wisdom here. Thanks so much for, for the conversation. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Coaching. We hope today's discussion provided you with insights into understanding and leading. As always, thank you to the 3D Institute and Friends University for their support and passion for empowering leaders. And if you have any questions for today's guest or myself, all our contact information is in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in.
Beyond Coaching is a podcast of the Impactful Coaching Project in partnership with Friends University. The Impactful Coaching Project seeks to develop coaches that coach the whole person. The Impactful Coaching Project is the thought leader in coaching the 21st century athlete and produces training, information, and original research to help coaches develop. For more information, check out impactfulcoachingproject.substack.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>